0: hey 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 welcome to the Oklahoma bonus episode you are listening to the podcast never to be seen again and I am Laura so in the regular episode this week we covered uh, Oklahoma in the episode I told you that I would be releasing this bonus episode because this story was just too much to tell in the regular episode the thing about this case is is that a lot of tragedies are really and really messed up stuff centers around one person. That usually means that that person is the cause of all the tragedy, such is the case here. The story actually includes two disappearances, but for this case, I'm going to give you the details about the two missing people after I tell you uh, the majority of the story. So this story centers around a man Whose name may sound familiar to you. Uh, all of this takes place in and around the '90s, so a lot of uh, a lot of you may remember this story from the news. This is the story of Franklin Delano Floyd and his tornado of damage. So Floyd was born in uh, Barnesville, Georgia. He was the youngest of five children, born to Thomas and Della Floyd. Shortly after Floyd turned one. His alcoholic father died of kidney and liver failure. So his mother, of course, had a difficult time supporting five children after her husband's death. Eventually, she made the decision to give up her children. In 1946, Floyd and his siblings were put into the care of Georgia Baptist Children's Home in Hattville. While Floyd was there, he was bullied by other children for being feminine Later, he would report that during this period, he was sodomized with a broomstick, um, and he was just six years old at the time. He was also uh, subjected to harsh punishments by the staff. As a teenager, Floyd's hand was dipped into hot water after he was caught masturbating. Floyd often found himself in trouble while at the children's home for fighting and stealing. In 1959, when Floyd was about 16, uh, the home put Floyd into the custody of his sister Dorothy, after uh, he had ran away and broke into a nearby store to steal some food. Of course, this was short-lived as well because Floyd is eventually kicked out of his sister's home. At that point, he traveled to Indianapolis to look for his mother. He discovered that Della had become a sex worker. So Floyd had Della help him forge legal documents, allowing him to go to California to enlist in the army. It only took about six months for Floyd to be discharged after the army discovered that he was underage and that his paperwork had been falsified. After this, uh, Floyd tried to find Della again, but he couldn't locate her, so he traveled across the country as a drifter. Deli uh, did eventually die on July 2nd of um, 1968, and she was buried in Graceland Cemetery in Chicago, Illinois. So let's talk about some of Floyd's early criminal history. On February 19th of 1960, at the age of 16, Floyd broke into a Sears department store in Inglewood, California to steal a gun. Police quickly responded to the burglary alarm and ended up in a shootout with Floyd in which Floyd was shot in the stomach. He did survive, but only because he was rushed into emergency surgery. After he recovered, he was sent to a youth institution for about a year. Then, in 1961, he was arrested again for violating his parole by going on a fishing trip to Canada with a friend. In May of 1962, Floyd returned to Hatfield, Georgia, and found a job at the Atlanta International Airport. The next month, he abducted a four-year-old from a local bowling alley and sexually assaulted her in the nearby woods. He was caught for that and convicted of kidnapping and child molestation. For that, he was sentenced to 10 to 20 years at the Georgia State Prison in Redsville. That November, he was moved to... uh, Millville State Hospital for psychiatric testing. While being taken out for a medical errand in 1963, Floyd escaped and fled to Mason where he robbed over uh, $6,000 from a branch of Citizens and Southern National Bank. He was convicted of the robbery and was sentenced to the Federal Reformatory in uh, Ohio. After a second escape attempt, he was transferred to the United States Penitentiary in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. While there, he was continuously raped by other inmates. This this caused him to climb a roof at the prison and threatened to commit suicide at one point. After being sent to the Federal Penitentiary in Marion, Illinois, he was sent back to Georgia State Prison in 1968 and befriended a fellow inmate named David Dial. In November of 1972, Floyd was released from prison and sent to a halfway house. On January 27th of 1973, a week after he was released from the halfway house, he approached a woman at a gas station and forced her into her car where he attempted to grope and sexually assault her. The woman did manage to escape and Floyd was arrested. Floyd convinced Dial, who had also been released from prison, to post his bond. This allowed Floyd to go on a run as a fugitive. When he failed to show up for court on July 11th of 1973, a warrant was issued for his arrest. So obviously there is a pattern at this point of Floyd really not caring about uh, what he does and obviously he doesn't think he should be punished for it. Um, So while uh, Floyd was on the run, he did use some aliases. One of those aliases was Brandon Williams. So Brandon Williams is at a truck stop in North Carolina when he meets a woman named Sandy Chipman. Sandy is a mother of four children by two different fathers. Her oldest, Suzanne, was with her first husband, uh, Cliff Savakis, and Allison, Amy, and Philip are with her second husband, Dennis Bradenberg. So Floyd, who is going by Brandon Williams, and Sandy start dating. They dated for about a month, and then they got married. Then Brandon Williams convinced Sandy to move her family with him to Dallas, Texas. In 1975, Sandy was sentenced to 30 days in jail for passing bad checks. While she was serving her time, she left her four children in Brandon Williams' care. Sandy served her time, and when she was released, she returned home. What she discovered when she returned home is that her house had been vacated and her husband and children were gone. Sandy was able to locate her two middle children, Allison and Amy, in the care of a locally operated social service group. The uh, She never found the oldest daughter, Suzanne, or her youngest and only son, Philip. Police refused to investigate the matter because... Um, as his stepfather, as their stepfather Floyd, a.k.a. Brandon Williams, had the right to take the children. Suzanne and Philip were never officially reported missing because of that. Keep in mind, though, this was 1975, and the laws were just not the same back then. Okay, so here is when it starts to get a little complicated and murky. So, in late 1975, Trenton B. Davis enrolled his daughter, Susan Davis, in school in Oklahoma City. As you may have guessed, this was Floyd and Sandy's daughter, Susan Savakis. Now, Floyd and Suzanne don't stay in Oklahoma City because we know that they moved often and used a variety of names. For most of the time, Floyd tells people that Suzanne is his daughter, and Suzanne does graduate high school in Forest Park, Georgia, in 1986. We do know that. She and Floyd then moved to Phoenix, Arizona later that year, and Suzanne uh, was using the name Sharon Marshall. Then on March 21st of 1988, Suzanne, who is then going by the name of Tanya Dawn Tadlock, gives birth to a son in Tampa, Florida. During this period of time, Floyd is using the alias Charles Hughes and Clarence Marcus Hughes. So, Suzanne names her son, Michael, and names Floyd as his father. So, Suzanne and Floyd's son is named Michael Anthony Hughes. It gets a little more bizarre because Floyd and Suzanne get married in New Orleans in 1989. They are going by the aliases Tanya, Tadlock, and Clarence Hughes. So, Tanya and Clarence end up in Tulsa, Oklahoma later in 1989. Tanya was a dancer at a strip club and there uh, she was kind of um uh in comf- uh, there she kind of confided in some of her co-workers. One of these such co-workers was Karen Parsley. Karen often encouraged Tanya to leave her domineering husband, but Tanya would claim that her husband would kill her and her child if she tried to leave. See, uh, Floyd had joined the Fraternal Order of Police despite not being a cop and he had told Tanya that he could use his connections uh, through that uh, agency to track her down. But by April 1990, Tanya decided to run away with Kevin Brown, a college student uh, she had been having a secret relationship with and she was taking Michael with her. Later that same month, three passerbys uh, found Tanya laying on the side of the highway, 100 miles outside of Oklahoma City. She was rushed to a hospital in Oklahoma City with severe bruises and and a large hematoma at the base of her skull. She was found with groceries scattered around her, so police concluded that um, she had been struck from behind in a hit-and-run while walking from a convenience store nearby uh, nearby Motel 6. I'm sorry, she was walking from the convenience store to a nearby Motel 6. Floyd didn't arrive at the hospital until the following day. He said that he had fallen asleep at, at the Motel 6 after Tanya had left to get groceries. So, as I continued to mention, Floyd and Suzanne, aka Tanya, went by um, a number of aliases. At the time of Tanya's death, because she did die, she and Floyd were suspected in the 1989 disappearance of Cheryl and Camesso. Camesso was a former co-worker of Tanya. Oddly enough, Camesso disappeared after an angry confrontation with Floyd. So not only is Floyd a suspect in Camesso's disappearance, he is quickly seen as a suspect in his wife's death. After Tanya's death, Floyd put two-year-old Michael into the foster uh, into foster care, and he left the state. He once again chose to flee from any charges. So two-year-old Michael's foster parents told authorities that Michael had limited muscle control, was nonverbal, and often experienced hysterical behavior when uh, he first arrived at their home. But he begins to make uh, remarkable progress with the Foster family. The Foster family became so attached to Michael, um, and in 1994, they actually began uh, the adoption proceedings. So here comes another twist, though. So six months after Michael was put into foster care, Floyd was arrested on a parole violation. As part of the adoption process, Michael's DNA was compared to Floyd's to establish paternity. It was discovered because of, that, of this that Floyd was not Michael's biological father. So when Floyd gets released from jail, he tried to regain custody of Michael, but guess what? Based on Floyd's criminal history, and oh the fact that he has no biological relation to uh to michael uh, Floyd's request was denied so now let's talk about September twelfth of nineteen ninety four Sweet little Michael is in the first grade at Indian Meridian Elementary School in Choctaw, Oklahoma. on this morning, Michael is at school when his life once again. Uh, becomes altered because of Floyd. In the morning, uh, Floyd walks into the school and um, heads straight to the principal's uh, office. The principal is James Davis. Floyd then pulls out a gun and points it at, the prin- at Principal Davis and demands that he takes him to Michael's classroom. He then takes Michael and Principal Davis to his pickup truck and forces them to get in. They drive away, and then Floyd stops the truck near a wooded area. He forced Principal Davis out of the truck at gunpoint and into the woods. Floyd then handcuffed Principal Davis to a tree and took off in the truck with Michael. Now, Principal Davis was found about five hours later, and he was unharmed. He didn't have any uh, physical injuries, at least. But now, they don't know where Floyd and Michael are. Now, they did search for Michael and Floyd, but it was unsuccessful for a while, at least. Uh, Then, about a month after Michael was abducted, the stolen pickup truck that Floyd was in that day was found in Dallas, Texas. So, because Michael was in the foster care system, confidentiality laws prevented Michael's foster parents, the Beans, from talking to anyone about Michael's disappearance. It wasn't until the FBI made a public appeal for information in Michael's case that the Beans are able to discuss his abduction with the media. So two months after Michael's abduction, Floyd was located and arrested in Louisville, Kentucky, but Michael wasn't with him. Now that Floyd is in custody, authorities started getting conflicting stories about where Michael is and what happened to him. Some witness statements detail alleged confessions by Floyd regarding Michael's death. According to these reports, Floyd reportedly told his sister and others that he had drowned Michael in a motel bathroom in Georgia shortly after he kidnapped him. Another person claimed he saw Floyd burying Michael's body in a cemetery. Still, other sources reported that Floyd had stated that Michael was still alive and safe. Floyd himself, though, refused to tell authorities the exact location of Michael or who was caring for him. In an interview in 2015, uh, I know I'm jumping ahead a bit. But in an interview in 2015 um, with the FBI, Floyd admitted to killing Michael the same day he had kidnapped him by shooting him twice in the back of the head. And I'll talk more about that later. So we have a lot of loose ends at this point because don't forget Floyd is a suspect in Tanya Hughes' death as as well as Cheryl Ann Camesso's death. While they are looking into Michael's disappearance, they are also looking into both of those cases. When it comes, comes to Tanya Hughes, they discover that Floyd had raised Tanya as his daughter since early childhood. So they did DNA testing to determine her paternity and they discovered that she is not Floyd's biological daughter. Now, when Floyd is asked about Tanya, he gives multiple inconsistent statements about how she came into his custody. One of those stories was that he rescued Tanya when she was abandoned by her biological parents. Uh, They look into Tanya's history, and the earliest uh, record of her was when she was registered in school in Oklahoma City in 1975, but of course, that was under a different name. In October of 2014, it was finally confirmed that Tanya Hughes was actually Suzanne Marie Savakis, the oldest daughter of Sandy Chipman. DNA matched Sandy Chipman to uh, Tanya. But remember when Son, uh, when Sandy's children disappeared, authorities wouldn't let her file kidnapping charges because he was their stepfather and he had a right to take uh, the children. Now, I told you that Sharon Marshall, who was actually, Suzanne, graduated high school in Georgia in 1986. She was such a good student that she had actually earned a full scholarship to the Georgia Institute of Technology to study aerospace engineering. But we know that she didn't go to college. Um, Instead, she ended up moving to Tampa, Florida with Floyd. Then she gave birth to Michael, and then they moved to New Orleans and got married and started going by Tanya, Dawn, Tadlock, and Clarence, Marcus Hughes. Now, let's talk about Cheryl and Camesso for a minute. So Cheryl disappeared back in 1989, and as I mentioned, she disappeared after she had an argument with Floyd. So co-workers at the strip club, um, because that's where she was working with Tanya, they saw the argument between Floyd and Cheryl. So what was the argument about? Well, Floyd accused Cheryl of reporting Susan, or Tanya, as she was known then, for mistake, uh, oh, misstating her income. Now why is this a big deal? Well, because of this, Tanya lost her government benefits. The argument occurred outside of the club and one of the co-workers reported that Floyd had actually punched Cheryl in the face. So Floyd and Tanya uh, fled to Oklahoma shortly after Cheryl's disappearance and their trailer was burned to the ground in what was ruled an intentional arson. Okay, so now in this story we have at least three related disappearances. Philip Bredenberg, Michael Hughes, and Cheryl, um, I'm sorry, Cheryl's not missing, and, um, Suzanne Savakis, um, I'm about to lighten all this up for you, though. Oh, I'm sorry, Cheryl is missing, (laughs) I lost track for a minute. So, at this point in the story, Philip Bredenberg, Michael Hughes, and Cheryl Camesso are missing. I'm about to clear some of that up for you though. In 1995, a landscaper who was working in an area off of Interstate 275 in Pineless County, Florida, finds some skeletal remains. This was the remains of a female. Now, they didn't know who this woman was, but they were able to determine that she died from a beating and two gunshots to the head. She was listed as a Jane Doe for a whole year before it was determined that this female was actually Cheryl N. Camesso. So, seemingly unrelated in Kansas in March of 1995, a mechanic is working on a truck. The mechanic had recently purchased this truck at an auction and I guess uh, he was going to fix it up and, and maybe sell it. Uh, So he is looking at the gas tank when he finds an envelope on top of the gas tank between the gas tank and the truck bed. In the envelope were 97 photographs that included many pictures of a woman who was bound and severely beaten. So police trace the truck's ownership. And wouldn't you know it, this is the truck that Floyd had stolen in Oklahoma in September of 1994. The same truck he had used to abduct Michael and, his, and Michael's principal. Remember, I told you that it was found abandoned in Texas uh, the following month. So, when investigators look at the photos, they were actually able to compare the injuries on the woman in the photos to the injuries on Cheryl's body. Not only that, the clothing that was found near Cheryl's body was also similar to the clothing the woman was wearing in the photographs. The medical examiner also examined, uh, also compared. I'm sorry, also compared injuries seen in the photos to the cheekbones of Cheryl's skull and found that they were consistent. Many of the pictures contained images of, of furniture and other belongings that were identified as belonging to Floyd. So Floyd was charged with Cheryl's murder. In two thousand one, Floyd is awaiting trial for Cheryl's death, and a judge ruled that he was incompetent to stand trial, and ordered that he undergo undergo further mental evaluation. Oddly, Floyd fought against this and said he was competent. Several months later, the judge did reverse her ruling, and Floyd was tried. Floyd was convicted of Cheryl's murder, largely based on the photographs found in that truck. He was sentenced to death. Now, Michael's disappearance, as well as his mother Suzanne's abduction, is still being investigated. Let me tell you about the other photos that were in that envelope. Some of those other pictures show sexual abuse of Suzanne starting at a very early, uh, starting very early in her childhood. Some of those photos are of her in sexually explicit poses at various ages, starting at around age four. So that, um, so, so when Floyd is awaiting execution, he admits uh, that he committed numerous crimes, but. He still maintains his innocence in Cheryl's murder. In 2014, two FBI agents interviewed Floyd while he was on death row. During the interview, he admitted to killing Michael on the same day he was abducted. He said he had planned to raise Michael himself, but Michael had grown apart from him during his years in foster care and he no longer loved him. He said during the drive to Dallas, Michael had gotten out of control and Floyd just couldn't handle his behavior. He claimed he shot Michael in the head twice and showed no remorse for it. He said he buried Michael's body on Interstate 35 at the last Oklahoma exit before the Texas border. A search of that area in March of 2015 turned up no evidence, though. Authority stated that it was likely that wild hogs in the area would have consumed the body, even the bones. Now you can believe this or you can believe any of the other multiple stories about Michael's whereabouts. Because if you remember, at one point he claimed that Michael was still alive. So in conclusion, Michael is still missing and it is really unknown if he is alive or dead. So we know that one of our missing people is Michael Anthony Hughes. He is case number 1061 DMOK in the Doe Network and case number MP6201 in NamUs. His NCMEC number is 795152. He is a Caucasian male born on March 21st of 1988. He was six at the time of his disappearance and he would be 32 now. He had brown hair and brown eyes and was 3 foot 10 and 45 pounds at the time of his abduction. Michael has a scar on his forehead and he had two new permanent bottom teeth that were crooked when he went missing. He was last seen wearing a blue uh, t-shirt with red sleeves, red and blue shorts and black high top sneakers. The other only person that is unaccounted for in this story is Philip Stephen Bradenburg. He is Sandy Chipman's son and Suzanne's little brother. Now, he went missing in 1975, and I don't have much on him as far as details. He is case number uh, 5323DMTX in the Doe Network because he's actually missing from Dallas, Texas, where they were living at the time. He is a Caucasian male, and he was born on April 12th of 1974, which means he was one at the time of his disappearance. And if my calculations are correct, he would be 46 now. Now, I do have some recent information on Philip. I found this in only one article and no other updates about it. In 2019, a man named Philip Stephen Patterson came forward believing that he is Sandy's son and Suzanne's brother. His adoptive mother knew Sandy and claims that she adopted him through Sandy and Floyd. She also claims that his name at birth was Philip Stephen Bradenburg. The last update was that DNA testing was underway. I could not find any further updates about the results of any testing, though. So Franklin Floyd is on death row in Florida. Uh, (laughs) Death row in Florida. Suzanne Savakis aka Tanya Hughes is dead by result of hit-and-run. No one has been charged in her murder. Cheryl Ann Camesso is dead as a result of murder at the hand of Franklin Floyd. Philip Bradenburg is listed as missing, although perhaps he has been located. We're waiting to hear about DNA testing results from that. Michael Hughes is still listed as missing although it is presumed that he was murdered at the hands of Franklin Floyd. And that completes this very complicated story, for now at least. Um, Keep an ear out for any updates on this case, especially in the case of Philip uh, Bradenberg, because maybe maybe he is um, Sandy's son. So now that was one hell of a story Um, and honestly (laughs) I really couldn't have told all of that in a regular episode. It was just too much. Um, So while the story really kind of sucks, I hope that you enjoyed my telling of it and I hope that I made it kind of easy for you to understand because it is quite complicated. Um, With all the multiple aliases of Suzanne and uh, Floyd, it gets kind of mixed up. But in any case, I hope that you enjoyed it. Thank you for your support. And I hope that you will decide to come back to hear more about those never to be seen again.